and Murata. Bickley and Murata mornings. Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. Bickley Blast. A football team can get sideways when a defense must always carry the heavy side of the piano, and that is happening with the Rams in Los Angeles. A football team can also get sideways when ownership is exceedingly generous in rewarding upper management and equally frugal when dealing with players, you know, the ones who actually risk life and limb on a football field. And that might be an incoming danger in Arizona. And I say this because I just had a conversation with the former player Player who said a serious football team would have never lost Calais Campbell or Tyron Matthew emotionally or physically. Same with Hassan Reddick, and they certainly wouldn't leave negative fan mail on the seat of a player who belongs in the team's ring of honor. Similarly with Kyler Murray, the decision to pay him was more begrudging than celebration. More like a shotgun wedding of two parties that might not really like each other. And all of that is in sharp contrast with the team that handsomely rewarded mediocre performers in upper management. And players notice that stuff. It's not just us in the media, and it does not make them happy, and it does not inspire them to give everything they have to the cause. Now, is that really happening here? Probably not at the moment. While it's pretty clear that Steve Kime has burned a lot of bridges, I think the players actually like Cliff Kingsbury, who is more peer than power figure, who treats them all like men. But at some point, a football team will tap out on a leadership team that has no answers because nobody wants to sacrifice to a lost cause. And if this team ever needed a light to go on and a real leader to show up and finally lighten the load on his defense, it is right here. It is right now. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury affordable with two great locations. Find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. Our fans are passionate. We understand they want to win just like us, and um, that, that comes with the profession. Our guys are professionals, and they know you got to show up and, and do your job regardless of circumstance and do it at a high level, and, and that's been their focus. we we got a great locker room that understands where we're at and where we want to go, and um, you know they'll just get back to work. Tim, you said something earlier that, that a lot of players anonymously told ESPN last week that the game against the Seahawks was a must-win game. So even though some in the media, even though the coaching staff would like to believe that that must-win game hasn't happened yet, that there's still life, um, you wonder exactly what's happening internally with this football team now that that must-win turned into another stale, yucky loss. And similarly, and here's what I want to focus on right here and now, because okay. I want to get your opinion on what's happening with the defense. Um, I, 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 there are times when I hate statistics in sports. There are times when stats are, are not really thoroughly representative of what we're watching with their eyes. Right now, the Cardinals defense looks on paper as if it's one of the worst in football. And I feel bad for them. Because of that. Because as I've said all year long, I think the team's been underfunded. I think the team has competed. I think they've tried super hard. And, and I think ultimately their lack of depth and their lack of talent and, and the lack of anything happening on offense has just sucked everything out of them. So while I'm not trying to claim they're a good unit that's being unfairly stigmatized, what I am saying is when it comes to holding up ends of bargains, I've got no issues with them. I think it's a testament to Vance Joseph and the job he did early in the season. I think they held a lot of teams under their scoring average. They had a run of 20 point or fewer uh, points allowed in a game. Uh, it's, it's tough, Dan, because you can't 
just paint a broad, a broad brush across what's happening with this defense. At the end of the day, here we are through nine games. They've given up more points than any other defense in the National Football League. They, after their, after the defense actually gave the team a lead, the the Seahawks on Sunday stuffed it down their throats with three straight touchdown drives to solidify that win, and the Cardinals could not get that team off the field on third down. It was very frustrating to watch. But when the offense time and time again goes three and out and that defense gets tired out, that's a factor as well. And that's what I mean. There are so many moving parts and elements uh, into this deal. But at the end of the, of the day, that they're just... They're just a group of guys that's void of real significant high-end talent mm-hmm. and playmakers mm-hmm. with the ability to make critical plays at critical times. Listen, you can be statistically mediocre, but if you have the ability to make critical plays at critical times, big-time plays, I'm talking sacks, forced fumbles, uh, tackles for losses, interceptions, and never more so was that more evident than last Sunday when Byron Murphy had a pick right go, go right through his hands in the end zone, mm-hmm. and Tanner Vallejo had a ball tipped floating up there in the air that you just got to catch it. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't do it. And both those plays on the very next play, the Seahawks converted touchdowns. Yep. So there's plays that just not were not made. And you look at the defense, and outside of Buda Baker, is there a Pro Bowl-worthy performer on that? I mean, is, is maybe J.J. Watt, maybe Byron Murphy. But again, if you're talking about maybes here, that in, that in and of itself speaks for yeah. itself. They're just, they just don't have high-end talent, playmaking, difference makers on that defense, or right. at least enough Not of consistently. them. Right. Consistently. So, what they were doing schematically with Vance Joseph early in the year was commendable. But I mentioned yesterday, at some point, there's a regression to the mean, and I think we're seeing that now, especially with the offense not out. holding up their end of the bargain, and I think teams are starting to put points on the board. And you're seeing a team now that has now given up more points than any other team in the National Football League. What else can you say? Right. Now, listen, so, so when you take a look at this, and, and, and I think that when we, when we zoom out, I think the real regret is going to be those four games when the defense shine from start to finish, allowing 20 or fewer points in four consecutive games. Cardinals went one and three in those games. And with all the resources on this offense, even without DeAndre Hopkins, that's, that's almost criminal. And, and I think that is, if things don't get better, that's going to be the first, the first real bad turning point for this football team. The other thing here is you mentioned mentioned Buda Baker, and we played for you the cut from the incoming um, debut edition of Hard Knocks tonight, and you hear the emotion and the passion in his voice. When when you talk about these themes we've been talking about, which is um, how football teams, how their commitment to the cause can wane when they think it's a lost cause, Buda Baker is one of those guys that always brings the passion, that always brings the energy, that will always put his face right into the fan, and because of that, everybody in his orbit is compared to do the same. So when you get somebody who is that that committed to playing football at that level in that style with that kind of passion, it, it, you can't really be a passenger going no no I'm not I'm not dealing with that kind of stuff. Without Buda Baker this weekend, th- that to me that's a big emotional piece this team's going to be missing. It's a big emotional piece, and it's a big concrete piece of your uh, your football defense in terms of being able to go out there and make plays and stop people. I mean, they're not they're not going to they're not going to have their, their arguably you know one of their top two or three defensive players. 
at a critical position, especially, I'm not that he covers Cooper Cup, but again, that secondary is is weakened uh, by Buda Baker's absence. And you could hear the pain and the desperation in his voice in that in that cut from Hard Knocks, uh, and it's killing Buda Baker. And there's just, there's, there's, I, I hope there's some passion like that on the offensive side of the football. Because the, the, the mistakes we're seeing time and time again, operationally, penalty-wise, pre-snap penalties, I mean, this, this is an operation that is just failing. It's failing to score points. It's failing to move the football. It's failing to throw the football downfield. It's failing to protect Kyler Murray. I mean, Billy Price forgot to snap the football on back-to-back plays. <laughs> like, he didn't know the count. Back-to-back false starts, but it wasn't one guy. It was the rest of the offensive line. One time he snapped it. 40 yards over his head. Another time he snapped it over his head. And last week he snapped it to the right of his head. And you'll listen, Billy's doing the best he can, but the Cardinals were in a position of a lack of depth where they lose their center. They got to find Billy Price essentially off on the street or on a practice squad. All right, coming up on the other side, what does leadership really mean in the NFL? How far can it take you, and what does it mean, and what is lacking here in Arizona? We're going to get back into that when we come back. He is Tim Ring. I'm Dan Bickley. You're listening to Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Dan Bickley, Vince Morata. Bickley and Morata Mornings. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, frustrated and um, pissed, honestly. But uh, it's a good group. I mean, guys know we want to be better and want to, want to uh, continue to work to, to see how good we can be. And we haven't gotten to that point yet. There's no question. Welcome back, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Dan Bickley, Tim Ring filling in for Vinny tonight. Most Cardinal fans are going to be very interested to see the debut of the Cardinals on HBO Hard Knocks. And I think the number one thing people are going to be interested in is what does Cliff Kingsbury look like inside the team's facility behind closed doors where you don't get to see them. Um, I'm curious if are we going to be in store for some surprises? Are we going to say, whoa, coach actually does have a little more alpha male in him than we thought? Or is it going to be just exactly what we thought? And that is a a guy who is just very reasonable, very even keeled, um, doesn't like imposing too much will on, uh, on, on others, believes in People doing their own jobs and and dealing with the consequences of all that. It, it all of that led us into a very fascinating conversation we had earlier today, and we want to share some of that with you now. And that is, you, you cover and you watch football for a long time. It, it, you've seen things that seem to be inviolate in football, and that it. it seems to start with an authoritative figure at the top, somebody who is very clearly in charge. Now, you can go into social psychology and you can find in the animal kingdom how important hierarchy is, how important uh, delegation of power is, even if it's only implied, even if it's just something you feel, because everybody, everyone on this planet understands force. You don't need a language to understand force. And so there's there's power And there's properties that go with the strong alpha leader that seem to really apply in football for a lot of different reasons. And I don't know. I don't care whether you're talking about Mike Ditka. I don't care whether you're talking about Bill Belichick. There has to be a a voice at the top that can't can only be questioned up to a point. And and. Tim and I were kind of riffing on this earlier. If you go back in time to Kyler Murray and how he is, how he has sort of treated the head coach in in the view of everybody during the course of games, there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of passion, but there's not a lot of respect. 
and there's certainly not a lot of fear. There's not a feeling like, ooh, I just crossed a line. I just, I just called my dad a bad word. And you wonder what that means in the grand scheme of everything we're watching. I, I just look at some of the great coaches in this league, college and pro. I, I just can't. And the Cardinals can brush over the, the Kyler Murray thing. And again, we're not so much rehashing the Murray Kingsbury sideline nope. deal as much as like, what, what does it say about the dynamic between player and coach that a player feels, feels comfortable and almost empowered uh, to be able to do that? And is it, is it a sign of a, of, 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 of an issue that Kingsbury has in terms of leadership that manifests itself into a, a football team that doesn't play disciplined football uh, on Sundays and you get a lot of penalties and you get a lot of mistakes and you get a lot of sloppy play, things that are indicative of a poorly coached football team and a coach that doesn't have a a, 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 a thumbprint on this football team and a thumb hold, a, a firm grip in terms of getting them to play sound fundamental football every week. And that's why the Kyler Murray thing maybe is a bigger window into that even more so than a team that plays sloppy football and commits a lot of penalties it's it's just the the dynamic and the 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 respect that Kingsbury commands in that locker room you know, he, he, unless he got fired in college because he couldn't win football games. Mm-hmm. He's under 500 there. He's under he was called Coach Bro there because even back then it was more yeah. of a of of a of a friendly figure if you will. Right. And there's and 2 years ago they're 8 and 6. They got a chance to go to the playoffs. All they got to do is beat CJ Beathard and John Wolford and they they collapsed. We know about the collapse last year. And, and everybody wants to talk about the 5 to the 8 to the 11 wins, but really what has that really gotten them? And the and the start last year was phenomenal. There's no question about it. That looked like a well-oiled Super Bowl caliber machine. But since then, I mean they're 5 and 11 in their last 16 games. I got it's funny, Bick, you, you talk about like Okay, a team doesn't play perfect, but a coach comes in and fixes it. Cliff Kingsbury on the 10 penalties for 115 yards. Quote, it's unacceptable to have that many. We've got to clean that up. Bick, that was from November of 2020. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Cliff, uh-huh. Another, another soundbite. Cliff Kingsbury talks about all the false start penalties. <laughs> Kyler Murray's playing time. That was 2019. <laughs> uh-huh. I see your point, Tim. So, so again, like I always say, talk is cheap. But it is. again, this is this is four the, years of, of your team playing playing mistake, you know, laden football, and you sit, stepping in front of the mic saying we got to clean that up. You know what? You, you you can't. You're not cleaning it up. Yeah. For four years, they've been in the top five in penalties committed, and that is not by accident. Here, here's the other thing that's so unique to football. Number one, there are a, there's a good chunky percentage of players who playing football who don't even like the game, who are doing it for the money only. So, so as a head coach, you're going to have a hard time reaching that player because they don't have that Ron Wolfley eternal love for the game in them, right? So there's that, and then you've got football players who who what they want and what they need are can be two dramatically different things. I would think all football players would want a head coach like Cliff Kingsbury, who is kind of easy breezy on them, not a screamer by most accounts, yet what 
they need is something completely different. And that discipline that has to come from an alpha male kind of presence, that has got to instill the fear that, man, if I make a mental error, coach is all over me. And there's any number of ways it happens. It can be an yes. accountability board. Yes. It can be embarrassing them via film review. It can be embarrassing them via the media. There's any number of ways a coach can go to instill fear that eliminates penalties and mental errors and the pre-snap penalties and the things that you don't need to do on a football field because no one's making you jump off sides. And, and, and that's the sign of a loose organization. And those organizations don't last very long. And that's why... I had a I, the, I had a problem with the Kyler Murray sideline exchange because I just thought it was an indication of some of the stuff we're talking about right now. Yep. It wasn't about oh Kyler is a competitor and he wants to win and that's football and boy have you guys heard the things that go on on the sidelines? No, you know the, I, I get it. Uh, emotions run high and players yell at other players. But correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, do you guys remember? Uh, successful winning Super Bowl caliber coaches getting talked to that way by Never. their quarterback? Never. Cameras on or cameras off? I mean, it just doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen for a reason. So that's what bothered me about well, that, no matter how much other people wanted to gloss over it, because I just thought it, I'm with thought you. it spoke I volumes about how the players feel about Cliff Kingsbury, and then you see the, the 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 amount of penalties and sloppy play and the mistakes time week in and week out it never gets better. I would listen. I I let my children express themselves in in any numbers a number of ways they see fit. I would not never allow any of them to tell me to shut the bleep up. And that's a very stupid, silly example. But but there are lines you don't cross, and and player to head coach is a line you don't cross. It's very, very common to see players going off on offensive coordinators, assistant coaches. That's that's where the emotional outlets are supposed to be. It's not supposed to happen with the head coach. So, and a lot of people say, well, that's just Kyler Murray. It's, it's half Kyler Murray because there are other signs of this that manifest itself throughout this organization. So, it, so here's the deal. And what's different about it is if you get a head coach who's a tyrant, who's authoritative, who's a jerk face with the rules, like Tom Coughlin was when he was about to lose the New York Giants, okay? A team will turn on a guy like that, especially if you're not having success. A team won't turn on a guy like that with like Bill Belichick if you're always giving them success. But a team with a guy like Cliff Kingsbury, it's kind of a mixed bowl because you appreciate the guy and, and how cool he's being to you, but he's not giving you what you need to win football games. So, so if this football team really appreciates the head coach and his demeanor, we're going to see it with energy and desperation this weekend. You can't, if they've tapped out, you won't. You can't have the substitute teacher vibe. It's exactly what I was thinking. In a football yeah. locker room. Yeah, it that's never, right. It never works. It's fun for a while. It's right. fun for a I, while. There I, might be some short-term, like, you know, the, you know, the Jerry Glanville bump, if yeah. you guys remember that. Uh-huh. He'll come in and every, teams will play well for a while, right. but it always <laughs> fades away. Always. Always. Always does. All right. He is Tim Ring. I am Dan Bickley. Joining us next, the Hall of Fame voice of the Phoenix Suns. He is Al McCoy. He's coming up next on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Suzanne, CP3 for three. Al, about the Suns. Hall of Famer Suns broadcaster Al McCoy calls in to talk Suns with Bickley and Murata. Suns win. The Suns win. Al, about the Suns. Driven by Sanderson Ford. All right.
right, it has been our privilege for the last 51 years to have this gentleman as the play-by-play voice of the Phoenix Suns. It's our privilege to have him every Wednesday in Al About the Suns, the one, the only, in his 51st year, Al McCoy. Hello, Al. How are you? Hey, good morning, guys. Tim, Vic, good to uh, visit with you. Always Always great to visit with you, Al. Let's start with the state of the basketball team. No Cam Johnson. Chris Paul's got a heel issue. Torrey Craig's in the starting lineup. It feels like this team's kind of hanging on by its fingernails here. What should we expect in the next few games? Well, you know, it's an interesting point that you bring up, and uh, I was thinking about this after this uh, last game on the road and uh, looking around the NBA. Uh, I'm a little concerned uh, about what's happening with the Suns. I, uh, I'm i going to point out this morning with you a couple of players I think need to uh, step up offensively uh, and some changes they're going to have to make with players out. But the crazy thing is, and I'm anxious to hear your comments, look what's happening around the league. It just seems to be the same thing that's now happening with the Suns. Uh, outside of uh, Milwaukee, and they finally lost when they had to set their superstar down. Every team seems to be playing maybe a, a good game one night, and then somebody gets a hangnail and he's out, <laughs> and then, then, they, then they can't can't win a game. Look like they've never played together before, and uh, then they look real good and play a game and beat somebody they shouldn't. It's just kind of a crazy start to the NBA. You kind of get that same feeling that I do. That yeah, I do. Right now, kind of looks like the teams are just saying, oh, this is the start of the season. Uh, let's just go along here because we know eventually what's going to happen. The good teams will set up and the playoffs will be ready. But uh, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, I'm, I'm looking and I, I can't understand how the Utah Jazz are doing what they're doing. I'm looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, 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 I, and I can't believe Anthony Davis is injured again. Oh, wait, actually, I am very, very not surprised by that. No, I think you're right. I think it's it's been a very weird beginning to this season. Yeah, and I think uh, as far as the Suns are concerned, and uh, apparently Chris Paul won't play tonight. Although, after the game the other night, he said, well, he could have played the second half. He could have, but he didn't. Well, then why didn't he? Right? If he could have, why didn't he? Uh, Obviously, uh, I have had concerns with Cam Johnson from the beginning because it just looked like he was going to be injury prone. You know, he's not a big, strong, physical guy. So he's gone. He's out probably for a couple of months. That means somebody else is going to step up offensively. And I think the players are there. I'm talking probably about Mikel Bridges. We know he's capable of having big offensive nights. But to score, you got to shoot the basketball. And some nights we, we look at a halftime stat, and uh, he's taking two shots. Well, he has to become a lot more active offensively. And my guy, D.A., DeAndre Ayton, he has got to be a lot more active offensively. With Cam Johnson out, somebody's got to fill that gap. The players are there. And they just have to step up their offensive game. Yeah, Al, you know, I was saying it the other day. Bo- both Aiton and Bridges can score, obviously, and they can score big. But sometimes, especially Bridges, maybe he doesn't have the scorer's mentality. And I think as long as Chris Paul is a little banged up and kind of reluctant to shoot the ball right now, Al, even when he's out there, and Cam Johnson being out, and Jay Crowder being wherever, they need Bridges to have that scorer's mentality as opposed to just a guy who can score. 
Well, that's what I'm saying, and we know he can do it because he's had those big nights when he scored 27, 28, 29 points. We know it's there, and this is where the coaching staff has to work with him and say, now, Mikel, uh, we know what you can do defensively. Uh, That's not a question mark. We want you to continue that. But you have to step up offensively. And then the same thing with D.A. Now, he gets an early foul trouble, and, you know, we're not going to get into that. The Suns don't get calls, and they don't get to the free throw line only about one every six or seven games, but we won't talk about that. That hasn't changed. It's not going to change. But D.A. is going to have to come out and play his game. Mm -hmm. If he picks up four fouls in the first quarter, he picks up four fouls. But get some points up on the board and be active offensively. Well said. All right, Al. So you take a look. Here's the thing a lot of fans are, are having a hard time understanding. So if, if the team is is short on quality players given injuries and, and the like, and Jay Crowder is out there still being paid by the team without a job releasing videos, why can't these two sides find a way to build a bridge to let bygones be bygones and, and kind of reconnect a little bit? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts are probably the same as yours. Uh, I I don't know what's going on. I can't figure out why there's not a communication uh, between uh, the Suns and Jay Crowder at all. You would think that certainly something could be put together between the two. Uh, We have an outstanding GM, James Jones, and he's a great communicator. We know that. But there doesn't seem to be any communicating going on. Now, Torrey Craig has done a good job, uh, limited to what he can do, but he plays hard. He rebounds. I was a little surprised that we didn't see Dario Saric the other night. I mean, when he has gotten some minutes in a couple of games, I think he's responded pretty well. Uh, Those two have to fill the gap. But the Crowder thing to me is a mystery. It really is. It really is, Alan. I, that was that was actually going to be my next question about Saric. Craig starts now in in place of Johnson. Suns score eighty eight points. Tory Craig does a lot of nice things, but knocking down threes, I don't think, is high on his on his, on his list of of attributes. If the Suns continue to struggle a little bit offensively, do you think Monty might give Dario Saric a shot at that that role at the starting three to try to generate? Well, I would some more think offense? so. Yeah. As I said. Uh, I've talked with Dario. He said he's in great shape. He feels great. He's ready to play. Uh, and the few minutes that he has uh, been able to pick up, I think he's been uh, pretty competitive. Uh, he has size. He can rebound. He can defend. He can hit a three. Uh, I, I don't know what's going on there. Maybe is is uh, are they thinking about a deal or a trade that might involve him? But I wouldn't think that would prevent him from playing. But who, who knows? But yeah. right now. There are a lot of questions, not only, as I said at the start of our conversation, not only with the Suns, but around the NBA. And if you were following the Golden State Warriors, how would you be feeling this morning? Yeah, how about that? Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, here's my last question. Now, not everybody is like you, Al, where you're in your prime for five decades, and it's part of one of the amazing things about Al McCoy. Chris Paul, though, listen, I've seen him the last couple of seasons kind of slow roll his way into shape, and and he doesn't look all that quick at the beginning, but then, you know, maybe a month into the season, he's got his juice and his legs back. Any concerns that it might not be coming back, that that maybe Chris is kind of coming down the mountain a little bit? 
Well, listen, getting old is not for sissies. We know that. <laughs> so it's, it's certainly uh, a, a right. possibility. <laughs> I, I think the Suns have to think about that. Uh, fortunately, uh, Cameron Payne has shown uh, some strong moments. And uh, I, I like Lee. I think Lee has come in. and He can hit a three and he can defend. Uh, but uh, what the future holds... Uh, for the, the CP3 is a little bit of a question mark right now. As I said, I was kind of surprised the other night when he said after the game that, well, he could have played in the second half. And then they say maybe he won't play tonight. Uh, not questions. Those are questions that have to be answered. And yep. uh, just I think the bottom line again, as I mentioned when we started our conversation, is some other players have to step up. That We know that, and that is going to have to happen. With Cam Johnson out, with CP3 maybe getting some limited time, other players, the two we mentioned, Mikel Bridges, DeAndre Ayton in particular, have to step up their offensive game. You are the best, Al. Thank you Thanks, so much. Al. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, guys. Have a great See you, one. Bud. You too, Al. He is the legend, the voice of the Phoenix Suns in his 51st year, Al McCoy, joining us, and, and he gave us a quote that we're going to pivot on the rest of the day. Yep. Getting old is for sissies. sissies. <laughs> By the way, that is the greatest. Not for, not for. Oh, that's right. It's not for sissies. Sorry. Right. Getting old is not for sissies. And by the I way, love it. reading between the lines there, you know what Al's saying about these guys taking games off with hangnails. <laughs> Bob, Bob Cousy never took a game off. Right. 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 How about these guys, that? They, you could have played, but you didn't. What is that? All right. From one basketball program to another, Bobby Hurley from ASU joins us next on Arizona Sports, the local sports league. How about how? Check. Now about the Suns. Driven by Sanderson Ford, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. This is the Sun Devil Fast Break with ASU men's head basketball coach Bobby Hurley. The Sun Devil Fast Break is presented by Arizona Ford Dealers. Welcome back. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Dan Bickley, Tim Ring filling in for Vinny. We go from Al McCoy to BFH. Bobby freaking Hurley, head coach at ASU. Hey, Bobby, how you doing? Pretty good, Dan. Good morning. All right, let's start here. Um, for a basketball program that's dealt with a lot of sucker punch losses, I'm I'm guessing we're not going to fret too much over an ugly victory to start the season. Well, I mean, I was we were disappointed. I think uh, you know even the players were, were happy to have gotten the victory, but uh, you know internally not not pleased. You know, just with our, our performance out there, and uh, so certainly a, a lot of film study. Um, and you know, getting back to the drawing board here, but uh, it was it was a, a kind of a weird first day, second day, a lot of uh, you know lower tier opponents, very competitive, some upsets. So uh, maybe that's the world we're facing now with uh, you know so many new players, uh, the transfer portal, and the impact that that has on programs. You know, Bobby, that was actually going to be my first question. It, it's it's tough, as you could imagine, probably it's tough to be a college basketball fan in twenty twenty two. It's like you get to November. And you flip on the TV and you're like, all right, let's see who's on my team this year, right? I mean, so I can only imagine, <laughs> right? And that's kind of the way, uh-huh. because because of the portal and NIL and also the culture today where kids are always thinking maybe the grass is always greener and 
they're quick to make a move for whatever personal reason they may have. But what is it? What is it like to coach? I mean, you came up in an era where, where players were around for three or four years, and there was there was this, this idea of building a program. But now it's like you're, you're starting with a blank canvas every year, trying to build something almost on the fly, almost each and every season. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're kind of a roster manager and, uh, you know, kind of a GM in the offseason and, and a basketball coach and, uh, uh, when it comes down to it. But uh, I, I thought that we were uh, going to be a little more together as, as a group in, in the first game. Uh, I, I didn't anticipate, you know, us struggling the way we did in, that, in this game. So a little puzzled by it. I, I knew Tarleton was a hard-playing, feisty type of team that, uh, you know, had the potential to, you know, make it an ugly game, which it became. Uh, but we, uh, there were just multiple areas that we, we certainly have to get better at. But I'm taking it uh, with a grain of salt, considering, you know, Frankie Collins, really that was a career high in minutes for him last year. Yet He didn't play a ton at Michigan as a freshman. Marcus Bagley, it was his second game in, in a little over a year. And then we have guys that you know that we got through the transfer portal that are in different roles. Like Des Cambridge hasn't come off the bench in, in a couple of years. So, you know, we need to uh, you know, we're still a work in progress, especially on the offensive end. I do, you know, I like how we competed defensively overall in the game. I, I try my hardest to not fixate on, on basketball officials, particularly in the NBA, because I know how difficult the job is, and yet sometimes in the Pac-12, um, sometimes I there I just I scratch my head in amazement. Okay, so you had 29 fouls in the first half of that game. How much of that kind of contributed to the to the muck that that game was, or was it just lazy defense? I, I thought you know they're a very aggressive uh, style of defense. Uh, they try and take away passing lanes. Tarleton does. They uh, they're very physical. Uh, they're going to pick you up full court. So you know I, I think it was uh, more a, a byproduct of just both teams' aggressiveness. Uh, we brought in officials for a number a number of days more than I've done in the past just to officiate practice and scrimmages and uh, and get us more prepared for you know how the games are going to be called early in the season because usually um, they're they're less likely to, to uh, allow contact early in the season and as you start transitioning the conference play things settle down so not really surprised with the volume of whistles but it did make for a very choppy uh, type of game. Bobby got any of you coming up tomorrow I don't want you to look ahead past that game in terms of future and po- opponents but I do want to ask you uh, just about the non-conference schedule this year your overall thoughts on it you got a trip to Brooklyn uh, coming up uh, in a little bit here uh, you go on the road you got a game in Vegas you got a game in Dallas. Just the overall quality and maybe degree of difficulty this year as it compares to maybe some of the previous years. What are you thinking about the non-conference this season? I mean, I would say it is not as extremely difficult as I've had in past years. Yeah. And, but it is challenging in the sense that we're one of the few power conference teams that will play you know, three true non-conference road games. Um, and then you throw in there our road game versus Colorado in the first week of December. And, and we'll play four true road games before Christmas, which is a lot. And then we have uh, three neutral site games. So you're not going to see us at DFA too much longer. So I would, uh, I would uh, <laughs> if you, you want to come see us, uh, I would get there tomorrow night. Uh, okay. But it's, uh, it's good. We have some high-profile games. Uh, I like our games in New York with VCU and then 
either Pittsburgh or Michigan. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously the neutral site game in Vegas versus Creighton is a top 10 team. So I think there are some exciting matchups, you know, in our non-conference schedule. Yeah. Now, I know we've already talked about this. I think you put together a very interesting roster, and I really like what appears to be the talent level on this team. And I think one of the good things that came out of the other night was just Devin Cambridge and just doing all the little things that you that you need to do to play winning basketball. I mean, four block shots, a couple of them were just completely emphatic and, and double figures on rebounds. His contributions the other night. Yeah, I think he um, he slides into a, a Kamani Lawrence type of role for us, and you know he didn't have his best game, and he'll be the first to admit that. You look at his stats; I mean, he was one for seven from the field, and he had a couple of turnovers. So there's a lot of room for growth there. But when the chips were down, and and we needed to make plays down the stretch to to get a victory. You know, he made a lot of winning plays. You know, the shot blocks, I thought, energized our team. Just, uh, you know, how fiercely he blocked them into the crowd. <laughs> so it got our guys going defensively, dove on the floor, got a loose ball. So he uh, he did a lot of things, you know, that were necessary or else uh, we would be in a different situation right now. Bobby, what's the ceiling for Marcus Bagley? I mean, the, the entire fan base has been waiting. I mean, obviously so excited when he signed on the dotted line and hasn't been out there on the court as much as everybody would would have liked these last couple of years. But are you still seeing in him what you saw when he arrived? Because when him and Christopher came in, it was like, man, how was Bagley even rated so low? This guy looks, this guy's got future yeah, pro, I mean, I'm, pro I'm written all over him. Summer and saw plenty of flashes and examples that uh, there, there are good things ahead in his future. And, and, and again, he's, uh, like I touched on earlier, just first game really in, in a little over a year. And, uh, so just getting those that first game jitters out, you know, I, I don't think that there'll be another game that he shoots three for six from the foul line, and that was kind of contagious amongst our group, which uh, you know, I think we had pretty good shooting. So uh, uncharacteristic, and hopefully, you know, we clean that up. But uh, I, I I anticipate big things from Marcus, and he's got guys around him uh, that defenses won't be able to to really purely focus on on him. So I think uh, as as the year progresses and he gets comfortable. You know his uh, his stats will get better, and uh, you know I think he's 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 a, ter- a terrific talent. Anything else from uh, from the opening game, or anything else you want to get out there, Bobby? Well, I mean, I just think we uh, we had twenty offensive rebounds. That was great. Uh, you know, I, I liked our energy in that regard. We got to clean up our offense and do a better job of executing in the half court and taking care of the basketball. And so those will be points of emphasis, you know, heading into Thursday. And uh, you know, Northern Arizona was was pretty competitive at Michigan State and really did a good job there. And got a really good point guard in Jalen Cohn. So we got uh, you know going to have our hands full again on Thursday night. Thank you, Bobby. Appreciate your time. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, guys. ASU head coach Bobby Hurley also with an appeal to Sun Devil fans get out and see him on thursday because after that is it a roadie houston brooklyn brooklyn yeah Uh uh-huh right exactly dallas vegas Uh, there you go let's go to vegas all right vegas and watch him play crazy in the nine o'clock hour we've got social studies we've got mark schlereth we've got Jarrett carlin shenanigans don't miss a minute of it minute of it we're back right after this on arizona sports the local sports leader